welcome to Sonic Talk Special. Uh, this, if you're watching it sort of on the time that you would expect to go out, this is actually a pre-recorded insert that we've done because we're also at Music Matter at the same time. So we're sort of time-travelling. So this is a Sonic Talk Special, and we're talking to Darren Crowley of Isotonic Studios. They make a lot of uh, really impressive Max for Live uh, sort of widgets and gizmos and sound libraries and tutorials, all sorts of stuff for uh, Max for Live and Ableton. And I'm here with Darren, who's uh, very kindly joining me today. How are you doing, Darren? Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. Good. And so um, tell me about Isotonic Studios then. I mean, where... What, what was it set up to do? I mean, because obviously I, Ableton is, uh, it's, it kind of reminds me of that sort of little ecosystem that used to surround the iMac. You know, there's now, they've created all of these little hooks and things for people to create custom content. I mean, is that a good description of what you're doing? Yeah, it, uh, basically we, we saw Ableton quite some years ago as the replacement for DJing. I ran out of space for a pair of decks and thought I'd uh, create some mixed CD type things. So bought Ableton, bought uh, Allen and Heath 1D, I think, MIDI controller. Didn't do everything I wanted, so found Bones and started translating MIDI. Then bought an ABC40, then more, then more, then more. And then Max for Live came out and I was invited as a beta tester to start working, getting into those hooks underneath the the bonnet, if you like, of Ableton. When you say Bohm, is that Bohm's you're saying? Is that Bohm's MIDI translator? That's it, by the wonderful Florian. Yes, well, we use that here, actually, for quite a lot of the things. I mean, because uh, uh, our switchers work on MIDI messages and Bohm's translate them into program commands and all sorts of other things as well. So a, a very impressive thing. And the interesting thing about Ableton Live is obviously, um, I mean, you know, you say very much it's you came out from a DJ point of view, but I mean, really, for sort of, any kind of electronic music production and controllerism, it's really kind of got that going on right as well. Massively. Um, subscribers to our products come from so many different fields. We've got experimental musicians, techno DJs, uh, across to people who are using our devices in a worship context. So they're using it for backing tracks in churches, etc. Right, and so it's, I mean, very much looking at the, 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 the team page on your... Um, on the, on the isoto- isotonicstudios.com, um, there's very much a kind of international flavour of people who are, who are contributing. I mean, that must be... Did you find that they gravitated towards you and wanted to help out, or did you find them? A, a bit of both, really. Um, the community's not massive, and in the early days, there was probably only two or three people putting things out. Uh, I'd made friends with quite a few, and then over a period of time, they were doing their thing. I was doing mine, and we decided it'd be easier if we pulled our resources and kept a momentum going, really. Uh, so Ned Rush was one of the first guys that joined me, then Lee Huddleston of Sigabolt, and then the rest have followed on in the last sort of six months. And do you have like a background? I mean, because I mean, as far as I understand, I'm not very well experienced in Ableton for Live, in Max for Live, but I certainly know uh, a lot of the things that you can do in Bohm's and just the sort of dissection of MIDI controls and what have you. I mean, how how deep can you actually go? Pretty much everything that could be MIDI mapped, I can get at. I can program, and I specialise particularly in feedback to controllers and creating new pages of control. So if you think Ableton, you can set the loop on a playing clip if that playing clip is in view. 
So you've got a lot of movement around the set to focus on what you want and then set the loop. So I expose all of that underneath the surface to be able to do Serato and tractor type DJing on that basis. Right, that's really interesting. So, so a lot in a lot of the controllers um, enable you. I know that there's a launchpad, uh, for instance, the the Novation product. You can get into the sort of SDK and underneath and start sending bytes back to actually tell you what buttons want to be what color and that kind of thing. So, is that the sort of thing that you're working with? Um, effectively, when Ableton releases a, a remote script for a control surface, there's six available in Ableton. As long as it's hooked up, I can then send messages, receive messages without having to go into SDK and that kind of stuff. And can you do that? Because I know that um, push has been, you know, and it's very much, uh, to begin with anyway, it's like a kind of closed ecosystem because it makes that, that relationship between you and the creative process is very much what they focused on. But there's an awful lot of stuff underneath the hood that you can do there. Have you been, been digging around with that? Oh, Absolutely. The Push was the first of the new generation controllers for Max for Life. The APC40 that I started with, it worked with Max for Life, but it wasn't maximised for it. So there's two elements, components and controls. Controls are the physical elements of the controller, and the components are things like the channel strip, the sends, etc. With the latest um, remote scripts that are being released, the Push being one, the APC 40 Mark II, and now the Launchpad Pro, um, you can just grab a control and work with that to create another page, different colours, all sorts of things. It's so much simpler since Ableton started to give this consistency across the various scripts that they do. Right, and and do you, I mean, you getting in there and kind of cut, because from what I've seen of Max, it's quite a lot of it is kind of uh, object-orientated and visual, so you grab things and connect things together, but presumably that underneath it there's an underlying scripting and kind of if if this, then that, and all sorts of other stuff like that. I mean, are you getting into that kind of, that, that level? Yeah, I'm a Excel geek, so formulas, conditional, etc., Max really resonated with me because it allowed me to do that very quickly visually without writing lines of code where a comma out of place right. stopped anything working. So, Max is, is uh, brilliant for so, me on that basis. So in terms of mathematics, that's the, it, it's, it's, it's down to that's, that seems to be the way that it's working most right. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. So um, what kind of... What, what, uh, you've got a massive range of products. I mean, what's, what are the ones that you kind of are the core of what you do, would you say? Um, the, the core of the stuff that I produce is working with Live's API, if you like. Um, on the screen here, I've got my usual setup. Um, one of the things that Ableton likes for a DJ point of view is splitting a, a whole audio track into individual sections. So you could phrase your mixes particularly well. Um, if you're a producer, it would be the different steps through a song so you can play them live. Um, they have what they call follow actions, which you can set in advance. So at an end point of a clip, you'd have to define it's going to follow on at a certain point after I've actually launched the clip. 
So it might, play, it might play three or four times, or if nothing happens, it'll just transition to the next bit or whatever, right? Perfect, spot on. That doesn't always work if you want to be more spontaneous, because if you want to loop a clip halfway through, it's still going to get to that defined timer point. It's like an egg timer has run out and you jump to the next clip. So really one of our first things was that we built was a, a device called Follow. And what that does is it automatically triggers a follow action at the clip end. So you can do anything you like up until that point and then define the follow action after it. Ah, so you can so you can actually re-trigger. So if you want to stay in that kind of massive breakdown or the, the chorus that everybody's rocking in, you could do it until and then it gets to the end. Because, I mean, the thing that I found, you know, that, um, with uh, Ableton Live is, you know, in terms of setting up a live set, I mean, it's incredibly complex what you could do. But by the same token, it actually is also incredibly complex. It's quite dense. I mean, do you find that what you're doing with your stuff makes it easier for people to sort of uh, expose that side of things? Is that, is that kind of one of the things that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, really, we worked on the principle that you want to be more spontaneous. You can set up a, an Ableton set, press play. I've seen performers do it, and it works its way through to the bottom as you ride some faders. But that's not really reading the crowd, building a part up, etc. With the advent of the new controllers, that you can actually add a new bass line, a drum beat, etc. live with the step sequencer kind of input. It, it's becoming much more of a live tool. And that's what we really want to promote. So do you find that, uh, I mean, you know, you, I, I still hear you're coming, the terms you're using are still very much from a DJ side of things. But I mean, in terms of people who are performing electronic music live, this is going to resonate very strongly with them as well. So all of that stuff is going to make taking what they do in the studio easier to go out on the road with, right? Absolutely. I mean, whilst I would focus on the performance side of things and interaction with controllers and making them do more for the money, effectively. Um, I've got Lee who writes complete remote scripts. Um, we've got one for the Launch Control XL, uh, which exposes all of the pots on the top of the controller to look after 24 parameters of the currently in focus device. It's normally limited to eight and you bank in eight, but now we've got 24 and you bank in 24. Right, so that makes it. I mean, I, the the thing that I always find with controllerism, it seems it seems like such a great idea, but it's the sort of thing that works much better after you've done the creativity part of it, and you're just sort of working within the parameters of the tune that you've already got. I mean, presumably some of your stuff actually helps with the creative process as well, though. Yeah, the Ableton relies on you setting out the grid, if you like, your session. Um, we've got stuff that helps with sequencing so I've, there's the arcade series from mark towers and that takes control of the controller and produces new melodies for you and stuff you would never come up with yourself then there's the uh stuff from eric or a razor mice and he's just working on the moment ableton's rival it would seem is bitwig and one of their great benefits is having the session and arrangement view in the same window he's actually just finished completed a device uh, which enables you to have session view in your range window so you're able to control it from the mouse and it's it's 
yeah, it's pretty amazing to be honest. And that's just a cut. That and that what we're looking at there is, is a custom device that is interacting with the kind of the underlying technology of the session, I suppose. Absolutely, it, it mirrors what I've got in session, but now I'm in the range. I can trigger my clips from here with the mouse. I've got control over the various parameters with my mouse as well. There's X, Y control. It, we're really excited about this. It's going to be due out on the 10th. Wow, the 10th of April. That's it, yeah. So, so it's already out by, by the time that people see this because uh, this is going to be going out or, or if, of course. on the 14th or 15th, I think, of April. But, yeah, oh, that's amazing. So... I mean, I didn't realise that so many of these, th- th- this, this level of nuts and boltsness was kind of able to to be achieved with this. I mean, is Max for, I mean, the actual programming part of Max for Live, I mean, is it this a case of just sort of getting in there and tinkering about, or is it uh, there's a massive specification and you're just going to go, oh, I could do this, I could do that? I mean, how do you discover these sort of functionalities? I'd call it Lego. Right. There's lots of different blocks. They all do something differently. You can combine them to do one thing, and then a different developer would use a different set of blocks and do it optimised. So how it's working with the team, uh, we tend to share everything that we're creating at a very early stage, and we're pretty harsh critics. So we're developing and improving and improving and improving. That's really interesting because, I mean, actually having a creative team who can handle... Um, the, the, the kind of banter, I suppose, you know, for want of yeah. a word of it, of that's no good, that's not going to work, without getting really uppity. I mean, that's something that, I, I, you know, it's the same in the musical environment, isn't it? If somebody just sort of comes and plays something and you go, oh, I'm not sure that's going to work, and they go, right then, I'm going, you know. It, you, it, it's about being able to adapt in that way. So in that case, you know, that makes means that having that, that sort of team makes it uh, very important to be able to communicate like that. Absolutely. Um, there's eight, nine of us, and there's a couple of guys that haven't brought stuff out yet. But the guys that have have really benefited from the process of sharing. And it's almost a collective on that, on that basis. Right. So um, give, me, give me some idea of some of, some of your other things. I mean, that, that eraser mouse thing looks really interesting. That's going to be out um, as when people can see this. What, what other stuff have we got? Well, on the desktop here, I've got a couple of things that are only working briefly but we're just about to launch the launch sync series and what that does is brings together numerous controllers you're allowed six um from the control service point of view in ableton that's the maximum yeah and what i've got <laughs> it should be enough uh, how many have i got here one i've got the launchpad pro the launch control xl the push the APC 40 Mark II, and a Launchpad S. It's overkill. You got hold of a Launchpad Pro already. How did you manage yeah. that? Is that because... Uh, I'm working on some stuff for no venture. Right, okay. And presumably that, that level of scripting... I mean, I guess the thing is with a lot of this scripting aspect is, I mean, does it translate anywhere else? Because, I mean, there are other DAWs. I mean, or is it very much... Are you purely based around the live ecosystem? Uh, outside of live... I use Serato. And from, from a DJing point of view, right. Yeah. Um, I haven't got enough time in the day to do anything other than Ableton. Right. Yeah, I can understand. <laughs> I'd love to. I can understand how that might be. So uh, just a word from our sponsors, Isotope, of course. We want to say thank you very much to them for sponsoring the show. And we're talking about Iris 2. 
Uh, 11 gigabyte sample library that comes with it now. No longer have the separate individual Bible libraries all in one bundle. You can get started quickly with hundreds of exciting patches by sound, world-class sound designers, including a whole bunch of oscillator wows from dozens of classic analog oscillator samples. We've got, the, obviously, the intuitive spectral selection tools, uh, as you get with the RX and the original Iris. We've also got a multi-mode master filter with 17 models of classic analog filters. Uh, new modulation system with over 100 modulatable parameters, uh, very visually clear, uh, five LFOs, five ADSRs, plus the macro controls as well. Absolutely tons of stuff. LFO morph and visualise changes with real-time animation, 20 different wavetable types on the LFOs themselves. Uh, if you want to check out Iris, please go to isotope.com forward slash Iris where you get the 10-day fully functional free demo. Thanks very much again to Isotope for sponsoring the show. So I can see you've got a kind of fairly large session here prepared. I mean, presumably all of this is to show some of uh, some of the stuff that you can do. So, I mean, have you got like a little sequence that you wanted to, 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 to show us? <laughs> I'm no controllerist, um, but what I wanted to do, just demonstrate a couple of things with LaunchSync Pro and give you a little bit of a taste of what we're working on with regards to the hot cues and the juggler. And at the same time, We'll have a little bit of visual candy and we'll turn on Ned's Brainwash HD because one of the other aspects of Max is you can use it with Jitter to create visuals. Oh, and you could presumably output that to a separate monitor and project that somewhere, right? Absolutely. It's also outputted to, to Spout so you can send it to VJ Software and, and do that as well. So... What I've got here is LaunchSync Pro. I'll just move that out of the way at the moment. The various red, purple, green, orange boxes in your session uh, represent what's being looked at from the controller point of view. So if I move my launch pad, my LaunchSync Pro device is also moving all of the others as well, which you'll pick up on the, the video feed. So it's all staying in sync. There's not much so, reason. So what you're what is the actual? Um, so all of the multiple controllers are all aware of where they are in the session, effectively. Absolutely. I mean, the best use case I've got is for a really small setup. I've got Launchpad, Launch Control XL. As I move around the set, I'm using our XXL script for the Launch Control which gives it an on-screen box. But I'm also moving that so my faders are following my trigger pads, effectively. Let's just go down. And that hopefully is coming through. Yeah, I can hear the audio and we can see that the visuals are happening there. Excellent. So if I just open up this encoders... What I've got on the Excel is the ability to have very simplistic DJ controls, but these will follow along as I move around my set. That clip's about to finish. And the next one's automatically triggered, so I know where I am within my set. If I change banks and move up, I've got a different set of controls. So now I can perhaps have a low pass. 
was really for set up for me from a mixing point of view. Um, I've got a third bank here which has various different effects as well. And you can see other visuals are reacting with that. Each time I want to move the main grid, my you'll notice here on the rebound on the second track, if I move one more track to the right, that's now the first track of my clip grid, if you like. So all the timeline coders and everything else are connecting and they're all working together. We've got a version of the Launching Pro that also has looping capability across the eight tracks. It brings together, bring that down a little. I've also got a device that allows you to launch scenes, um, but in my particular set, I just move that out of the way. I've got a load of one shots and stuff like that. If I launch the whole scene, it's going to launch that one shot and sound awful. So I've got an exclude device that will only launch the four, first four scenes for me. So when I've got stuff worked out and a mix brought together, very easy to do on that basis. Let's just have a look at the brainwash device. Over here, it works on feeding it a signal. Take the V back down. So, this is responding to frequency, is it rather than any kind of MIDI data, the actual visual side of it? Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's processing it and then you can manipulate it. it. It's creating its own visual echo, if you like, and then you can start spinning it and zooming it as well. And I generally have it on the return track so I can feed it the a cappella and have it almost sing as you're playing. Right. There's all different controls with it, it's all maximised the push. So, just stop that for a second. So it seems well, like, the, uh, I mean, again, this is the, 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 the visual side of it is really interesting because, I mean, obviously the, there is this kind of dilemma, isn't there? Because controllerists and people are using the laptop to kind of do their thing tend to require um, some sort of visual stimulus because, you know, the, the, old, the old adage about just doing, doing the email kind of thing. And th- is this how this, <laughs> this kind of came about so that it would, it would give a bit more of a visual uh, stimulus to, to what is essentially, you know, what looks like an IT operation on stage if, if you're not careful? Absolutely. It was a desire to put some reactive visuals together. Um, you, you could send it to a, a VJ for them to mix into their signal as well. But quite a lot of people who are out playing with Ableton, a very cheap projector projected onto a sheet behind them. And suddenly they've got a visual en- element to their performance as well. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, do you see that there's going to be more... I mean, one of the things that I do notice about Ableton and that there are certain things that, you know, with specifically with the devices, because obviously, you know, if you look at the screen there, it, there's a specific area for them to go in. But So everything has to be kind of linear. But you had that window that was floating over the top. Have you got that yeah. level of control within Max? Can you say, I want this to be in a, in a sort of a floating window and so that you can yeah. mess around with the, the, the aspect ratio, I suppose, of the... I mean, that one in particular, we... Uh, Ned worked with Bob Zeal, who created the wonderful set of Visible, and that's actually got full HD output if you wanted it. 
you could set the. Uh, I'd need to send it a signal. <laughs> Sorry. It can be quite mellow. Right, so you can give it a kind of high res. Okay. Yeah. Is it possible to put um, like some of your own graphical sources in there so that, for instance, some of the shapes and cuts are maybe you know the, the, the band's logo or something that that, that uh, have a, a point of reference to the brand of the music that they're listening to? I suppose. Um, at the moment, the intent is to output that into another uh, visual mixing right, okay. device. It, it really just creates. Um, it's got various different ways of creating uh, lines, bars, points, that kind of thing. Right, gotcha. And you can almost play it uh-huh. as well, which is really cool. It can develop and mutate, change colours, etc. It's why we call it brainwash. <laughs> you sit watching it for ages doing nothing like else. Like an open fire, isn't it? One of those things that That's you can't can leave alone. So, I mean, all of this... The, the, the thing about, I guess the thing is, is, you know, somebody like you who's going to be uh, uh, working closely with Ableton and sort of privy to what's coming up. I mean, presumably, you know, there's a push from the community who want to see drastic changes and major changes overall. But obviously, from a developer point of view, you want to be able to manage that and have backwards compatibility and all of those things. Yeah. I mean, do you get the opportunity to go into them and have that blue sky session where you just kind of go, we want, we'd love to be able to do X or Y? I mean, do you feel that you have the ability to influence the direction of live? Because obviously, you've got a very unique uh, aspect. You've got a, a, a unique way of looking at it because you're so tightly integrated with your products. Um. I'd like to think we listen to, and um, there's probably a good hundred or so of us that are called Crashologists, and we work with the beta releases, give feedback, we moderate the beta forum with Ableton. Um, we see stuff that's coming before it's released and can give feedback on it and on the content that Ableton are releasing as well. Uh, I must say, I'm really liking the direction they're going at the moment. Excellent. So, uh, I mean, Push has been out there for quite some time. I mean, where do you think controllers are going to be going next? Because obviously there's this sort of split, effectively. We've got the physical control of uh, things like the Akai's and the Novations, but then we've got the ability to kind of create custom stuff, like with the touch interfaces. And that's particularly now that uh, we've got some of the MIDI control stuff happening on the Android side. I mean, are you working in those areas as well, or are you purely hardware? Um... I was lucky enough to be introduced to the guys at Touchable. Um, They make the Ableton controller one of the best ones. There's a couple of others out there, but I always use Touchable with Serato and the bridge. So when we got together, and it was about bringing the hardware control to sync together with their iPad control. So with the next server release for Touchable, which should be imminent, uh, you'll be able to hook up your push and have that follow your iPad. The same with the launch pad, the APC40. In fact, any controller that has a red box, a ring focus box in Ableton's terms. Ah, well, that sounds... I mean, I guess that they're having them all speaking the same language. I mean, do you think that there are... I mean, because obviously there are certain things you can do with multi-touch and what have you on, hot, on, on, on touch surfaces that you just cannot do. In uh, in hardware, I mean, uh, which 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 side are you drawn to? I mean, I'm guessing you know, obviously, you can see what's going on a lot with with hardware control, but then you know, you've got the same um, possibility with with the touchscreen side of things. I think we're probably one step away from polyphonic aftertouch in the latest controllers, 
And if we get that, then it opens up a whole nother world of possibilities. You could be playing your effects with one pad expressively with the aftertouch as you press and release effectively. That's going to be pretty cool. And I guess that comes back down to the the way that uh, the mathematics of the cadence and the release and stuff works that you were talking about earlier. Um, do you think that there's... Um, where, do, where do you stand on the kind of the, the, the limitations of MIDI? Because this is something that seems to be kind of uh, constantly being debated. And obviously we've got MIDI 2.0 or, uh, you know, is, is underway with the MIDI. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, if you, if you were to... Um, if you were to... To be asked, what would you say I would like MIDI point two point to have? I effectively generally go through the control surface element, so it's through Python rather than MIDI. Anytime I do go through MIDI, I've got lots of clashing messages, timing issues, that kind of thing. Um, Hundred and twenty seven steps. It's limiting, but. With those limitations, it forces you to work in a certain way. And sometimes better stuff comes out of it because of that. All right, so when you're working from uh, like the Python interface, you just kind of say, I want it to have a scaling value between X and Y, whatever it may be. It might be a million points or it might be yeah. eight points. And then, but then when that's getting out into the outside world and communicating via MIDI, do you then have to turn that back into MIDI so that MIDI understands it? Um, it depends on what you're connected to. So each parameter in live will have a range and how precise that can be. There's a certain amount of scaling within Ableton. Um, but something like the push touch strip, you would expect that moves from 0 to 127 because it's a MIDI control. But in Max Alive, it's 0 to 16,000. So there's a very high degree of control if you want it. That's interesting. And is that the same for uh, the pressure on the pads as well, or are they limited to um, 0 to 127 values? 0 to 127. Right, okay. Yeah. So it's also down to the actual hardware, because I presumably if you're making hardware, you could actually have the sensitivity be whatever you want. But I guess Absolutely. in terms of measurement and the, the processing power that, or, or the expense of the components, that's probably going to be a limiting factor. So, you know, why, why bother with 16,000 steps when 128 will do in most cases? Because that's yeah. all that's listening, I suppose. Yes, pretty much. Oh. I think we'll probably start to see more work uh, around what they've done with the Launchpad Pro and with the push, so more stuff in the firmware of the device rather than it just be a simple signal zero one two seven zero one two seven. There's an amount of translation going on within the device itself. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean if we're going to get technical about it, that whole the, the, that notion of double biting, isn't there, where you have a controller value on one and then the next one in another so you've just got yes. these, you, you've got i don't know what that gives you from a 127 it's i guess it's 127 squared isn't it so that's going to be quite so. a lot um do you i guess that makes programming though more complicated because you've got to think about translating and and and, and managing all of that right it it does um i did some work with livid and the base 2 controller and that sent a continuous stream of CC. So as you press and release, it would keep coming through. And all you would need to do is set up a series of objects. If the signal is more than one, send a bang. And then don't send another bang until you've received a naught. And then another number above one. So it just needs translating. It's 
it all back to my bones days. Right. Okay. To, to be fair. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, what? Uh, how do you think that? What's the, what's the best way for people to get into this kind of thing? Is it really you've got to start with Max for Live and then just get in there and get the nitty gritty? I mean, do you need to sign up to be a developer or anything? I mean, can you access a lot of this stuff, you know, off the bat if you if you know what you're looking for? It, one of the best things that they did. I've just noticed my computer's about to go to sleep. That's better. <laughs> Good catch. Well, there we go. One of the best things that Ableton did with the release of Live 9 was to max for Live as part of the suite. So with that, uh, most of the subscribers that we have probably wouldn't open a Max device to edit ever. They just want what it does. But then there's 10% that will be opening it up and saying, that, oh, how did you do that? right, I want it to do this. And they'll take the open source nature of Max and use it in their own development. Right. I've got you. Okay, uh, so you're obviously pushing the boundaries of what can be done with this kind of technology. Who do you look at and think, wow, now they really are kind of pushing it. They really are. Because presumably you get these little units of creativity that are maybe aligned to a particular artist or whatever that are really doing kind of crazy stuff. I mean, who are you looking at and going, my God, that's insane? Yeah, um, on the website, there's actually a recommended page. And on there, there's some amazing guys. The guys at Surreal Machines, um, Christian Kleiner, um, Tom Cosm, straight there. It's some amazing stuff out there. And I'm very fortunate enough to be able to speak to these guys regularly, see what they're coming up with, and sometimes beat them to my yeah, So uh, you were talking about the sort of mathematical aspect of it. It's quite interesting. There's been quite a lot of uh, push going on in, uh, in... Excuse me, that's my phone going. I should have turned <laughs> it off. Um, there's been a lot of uh, talk, you know, with... I forget the name of the guy, the French guy, who's just sort of won the, uh, the mathematical award. Do you find that, um, uh, that people are kind of developing kind of interesting formulas effectively for processing numbers to create algorithms that do interesting things with the pure data that these controllers develop and then translating them elsewhere. These are the guys that I looked up to. I'm a simple DJ trying to make an easier way of playing. I look out to those guys and see them with new filter graphs and coefficients and expressions and go, wow, that's amazing. And really that's why I wanted to grow the team to bring those kind of guys on. Uh, I've got Ryan Stanley that's created a groove slice device that can do um, harmonic repeats and layering of sounds, etc. I I wouldn't even know where to start, but he delivered the device and we worked together and the rest of the team and it just got better. Oh, that sounds really interesting. So it's quite exciting. I mean, I suppose what I'm getting at is that it's kind of almost, it, it is getting to the point of pure mass, math, uh, mathematics, which is what we're kind of dealing with. And it's sort of, that purity is in some way kind of quite interesting, the way that, you know, that can affect the way that we uh, listen to and process music in a, in a pure sense. I mean, it's, it's not quite DSP work, but it's not far off it, is it? it to be fair, quite a lot of the stuff the guys do is DSP work. Um, working in Gen, which is an element of Max, which works on a sample by sample basis, they can do amazing things. Really can. 
Amazing. Right, um, that, that sounds great. I don't know if there's anything else you want to show us, but, I mean, it sounds like we've covered quite a lot of ground here. And, uh, for, obviously, for those of people who want to check out more of what Isotopes, uh, sorry, Isotonic Studios do, uh, you need to go to the website, which is uh, right here, isotonicstudios.com. Uh, you can see all of the, the range of products. And they do sort of, you do sample packs, you do uh, Max for Live devices, you do uh, rack effects, you do all kinds of stuff, right? Absolutely, um Animus of Invidious from Perform Module joined us a while ago. Um, he's got a set of artificial intelligence mixing tools coming out soon, uh, which automatically sculpt your mix down for you, maximising the sound. Wow, that's interesting. So almost like dynamic mastering, is that? Absolutely. Wow. That's, uh, so uh, this is all more stuff that's going to be coming out via you, you know, over the coming months, yeah? Absolutely. Um, we've got the Launch Sync series officially released at the end of next month. Uh, but before that, we've got the procession stuff from Eraser Mice, which was the mixing in session view while seeing a range. Uh, Animus Invidious from Perform Module has got the dynamic mixing devices, which use artificial intelligence to dynamically master your sound. Um We've got the new update to Groove Slice, so Groove Slice 2 from Ryan. And we're pretty excited at what the Audio Outlaw guys are working on, which is a, an upgrade to Noiser, which is, to me, it's like a guitar effects pedal in Max. It sounds wicked. Really, really cool. cool. Fantastic. Well, Darren, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, for those of you who've uh, enjoyed this, uh, now you can go and watch a load of our Music Messer videos because they should be happening all around you as we speak. So, Darren, thanks once again for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much.